This is The Big Show with Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Of course, we're talking a lot of college football on a Monday. Let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Joining us now, former BYU quarterback, our friend Tanner Mangum. Tanner, what's going on, man? What's up, Jake? How you doing? Doing great. Uh, I love college football, and I know it's a tough weekend for for BYU, but that was a really tough team uh, in Baylor they ran up against. Yeah, you're you're telling me. I I think they were a lot tougher than uh, than a lot of folks expected. I I uh, you know the Big Twelve sometimes gets a, a reputation for being softer maybe than the SEC, but that definitely didn't show on Saturday, and I think it's uh, something to be concerned about if you're a BYU fan is uh, the lack of physical presence that BYU showed on Saturday, especially with them going to the Big 12 now. These are the types of teams that they're going to be up against week after week. And obviously we see BYU go against a lot of Power 5 teams with their independent schedule. So it's not like they've never seen it before, but it definitely looked like they were uh, not in their element uh, on Saturday going against a very tough Baylor defensive front and offensive front as well in the trenches dominated really Baylor's uh, offensive and defensive fronts dominated on both sides of the ball and definitely not what you want to see uh, as you head into uh, the Big 12 conference. Yeah how hard is it to win a game when you give up 300 plus yards rushing? Oh I would I mean I would love to see some stats on teams that have won despite giving up 300 yards rushing, I would I mean, say it's nearly impossible because it's, it, it establishes such dominance. It establishes um, typically time of possession because when you're running the ball, the clock runs. Uh, it, it also affects time of possession because oftentimes when you have 300 yards rushing, it's not like you're getting those in 80-yard chunks. A lot of them are coming in like 10-yard chunks. And so they're just methodically – it felt like every time they were running the ball, they were getting 10 yards a pop. It was just like run the ball first down, run the ball first down, run the ball first down, and they were just slowly controlling and dominating the game. And then Gary Bohannon did a great job of, of uh, using that run success to his advantage with the play-action pass, with taking shots downfield. I mean, it really that's, – that's exactly what you are looking to do when you're establishing an outside zone power run game like Grimes wants to run, that's what you're looking. That's what you're looking for, because if you can dominate in the run game like that, it opens up everything else. The problem is sometimes it doesn't work, and then and then you're then you're out of luck. But when it works, when you're dominating like Baylor did, it uh, it makes you pretty tough to stop. And BYU didn't have any answer for it. So to your point, Tanner, BYU only had the ball for 24 minutes and 24 seconds, and only ran uh, only ran 55 plays. 
which is which is just crazy. Baylor had the ball the whole game, but the balance. Let me ask you about that because I didn't think Jaron played a bad game, honestly. But uh, BYU th- threw the ball 31 times and ran the ball 24. Given how good Algier has been, and we don't know, you know, maybe he's nicked up or something. But would you like to see a little bit more balance, maybe? Well, I think that's that's where the problem lies. Is uh, once you get uh, so once you're in such a lopsided time of possession battle, you feel like you're constantly playing catch up. You're constantly playing from behind, and they actually were. They were losing the game, and so they had to throw the ball a little bit more. They didn't. They didn't have the luxury that Baylor had in, in just establishing the line of scrimmage and being in the lead and being able to run the ball and, and take their time. They were kind of in a rush to get caught back up. And to Jaron's credit, he played great. I mean, he had some amazing touch on his deep ball. Uh, Puka Nakua was the player of the game on offensively for BYU, making plays, establishing himself as a real deep threat. Um, but. With the run game, one, they didn't like I said, they didn't have much time to establish it. And then two, their offensive line wasn't getting much push. And that's where I say that on both sides of the ball, Baylor's front seven dominated. Baylor's defensive line wasn't uh, wasn't budging. There weren't holes to run through like we saw against Utah State. Um, there weren't there's not a lot of momentum going for the run game and Tyler really never got loose. And so obviously credit to Baylor for shutting him down, for, for shutting BYU's offensive line down, but that's two weeks in a row now, where that's kind of been the that's kind of been the story. Um, I think last week's loss to Boise State was, in my opinion, a little bit more painful, just because they were clearly shooting themselves in the foot with turnovers that just killed the momentum. But this game was just a, a tale, a different tale of being dominated, uh, just being more Baylor being more physical, being more dominant. BYU, you know, kept it as close as they could. They didn't look bad on offense, but when their defense, when their defense is giving up 300 yards rushing, it's tough to come back against that. Elaborate a little bit more about what you thought about Jaron Hall's game. I saw some grumpiness online, and this just might be one of those online things complaining about Jaron Hall. And I thought, you know, he had the fumble, but I thought he played pretty well. No, Jaron played great. You, you watch the tape. You watch the game. He obviously the turnover hurts. Uh, any turnover hurts. You know, you know, I, I made a lot of them in my career, and turnovers really do change the course of a game. You know, they change the momentum. Um, they really, you know, oftentimes stand out to people. They, that's what they remember. And yeah, of course that one hurt. But look at all the other great stuff that he did. Uh, the deep balls that he threw, the touch that he's displaying on his throwing. Not a lot of people realize how balanced Jaron is in his game. He's not just a running quarterback. Yes, he had an amazing zone read pull that he ended up taking to the house and really showed off his speed and his wheels and his running ability. But he does that sparingly. He does it when he needs to. But really, he's a great thrower. And you know, putting the touch on the deep ball like he does, not a lot of quarterbacks can do that, but he really was putting it in good spots, good location, good accuracy. I thought he was making good decisions. Um, so to me, it's not a, it's not a, uh, a Jaron question. You know, I think if you put Baylor or Romney in the game, if people are always going to be complaining about wanting the, the backup, yeah, put Baylor in that game. I don't think it's it's much different because it wasn't a question of bad quarterback play. It was a question of bad de- defensive play. And when your um, defense is just getting destroyed like that and, and your offense is playing from behind, there's only so much they can do. So to me, that's not the issue. 
for BYU. For me, it's the physicality on the front seven. Trying to think about the best way to ask this. Um, do you think there will be? Well, well, let me put it this way: Do you think there is discussions internally about possibly giving Baylor another bite at the apple, even if Jaron Hall, Hall is healthy? I personally don't think so. Um, I, I would be I would be surprised. Uh, I think um, Jaron, what he's what he's shown on tape. To me, it's like like I just said. I don't think it's an issue of him. Uh, I, I don't I don't think Baylor would all of a sudden um, make BYU a, a much better football team. Like it, he's a great player, he's a great quarterback, and it's amazing to have two good quarterbacks in there who've proven that they can win. Um, but to me, when Jaron's healthy, he gives that offense so many more options uh, with his running ability. I mean, you look at the touchdown run that I just alluded to skirting down and and really showing how dangerous he is on his feet, but then also throwing the deep ball. So, you know, it's not like we're losing the deep ball ability with Jaron. It's not like we're, it's not like we're losing um, the running ability, obviously. So he, he can do both and he's, he's making good decisions. I think um, it's just a matter of putting it all together uh, as a team, uh, offense, defense, but when things are clicking, I I, I think Jaron is is as good as any, and I'm, I'm not I'm not going to say that going to the backup is is the answer to start winning games. In so, this case, right? I want to ask you about Washington State, the next opponent uh, for BYU, because they have a couple of losses against common opponents. With uh, Washington State lost to Utah State at the beginning of the year, we of course remember, and Utah beat them twenty-four to thirteen. But but Washington State beat a pretty decent Oregon State a couple of weeks ago, and then beat Stanford last week, which I got to admit I did not see coming. So give us kind of your thoughts on the Cougars of Washington State coming into this game. Yeah, I think you got to be a little bit nervous uh, if you're a BYU fan looking at the momentum that Wazoo has, um, just as you mentioned with those big wins against Stanford and Oregon State. So the momentum that they have and the lack of momentum that BYU has with two pretty disappointing losses in a row after a very promising 5-0, and top 10 ranking, um, they're, BYU's reeling a little bit. they gotta, they got to regroup and find a way to get that momentum back. Um, but this is going to be a tough, a tough matchup. I think Washington State has nothing to lose. Uh, they had some early losses. Now they're putting stacking some wins together. They've got a good chance to make a run in the Pac-12. Obviously, this isn't a conference game, but they're they're just playing with more um, a bit of a sense of urgency now. And uh, I think really what this game comes down to for me is what I've talked about all segment is the offensive and defensive lines. Can they establish the line of scrimmage? Can they control the run game? Can they stop? Uh, can the defensive line create pressure? Can they stop the run? Um, because they haven't shown that the past couple of weeks, and hasn't. Um, yeah, that's that's the main cause of concern, and so that's that's really where I think if you get that figured out, BYU can get that solved, and I think they'll be able to take care of business. Um, and I don't I don't foresee this being like a Baylor uh, offense. You know, I think it'll they won't have their hands quite as full as they did last week. But, uh, so they should have a good shot at, uh, at shutting it down and really getting back in the win column this week. Well, if the state of Washington cans Nick Rolovich tonight, which very well could happen, um, how hard would that be for a Washington State team to get ready for a BYU team? 
Yes, that's a very interesting development. I'm really interested to see how that all plays out. Honestly, I'm putting myself in the player's shoes. I Those types of things, I think you kind of just – you ignore them. You obviously have to deal with them. But when it comes to getting ready for the game, you just tune that stuff out and you go and do your thing. Um, I, I think something similar happened in the NFL professional ranks this weekend with, with the Raiders. Obviously, all kinds of drama going around uh, with John Gruden and – that could have been a huge distraction for this team. And many people were just assuming that with because of the distraction, they would play poorly against Denver. But they definitely didn't. And they, they came ready to play. They were ready to go. And they, they dominated. And I think as a team, that's kind of the mentality you have to have. And I think if you're Washington State, that's the mentality you try to have. Is you tune out the distraction that's trying to take, take away your attention and if anything, you allow it to fuel you to put even more energy towards preparing for the game to show that you're not going to be distracted. You're not going to let it affect you. You're going to control what you can control. You're going to show up to practice and get ready for the game. You're going to watch all the film that you can, and you're going to say, screw whatever it is people are saying about us. Screw whatever distractions people are throwing in, you know, in, in the press, talking about our team, talking about our coach. Just ignore that and just go play your game. And so to me, whatever happens, I think the team's gonna, I think they're going to show up better to play because they, they know this is a big game, and I think they're going to be up for the challenge. It will be interesting, and I don't mean for this um, comparison to be disrespectful. I more mean for it to be complimentary, but it, there are some connective tissue between what Utah went through with the Aaron Lowe situation, obviously even more so in Utah's case where they had that adversity to use that energy in a positive way where you use it to come together and get out and give your best on the field. I think if Washington State turns a weird situation into that, I, I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think teams always have to try and find ways to avoid distractions and actually use them to motivate them to prepare even more and to focus on their job even more and to not give in to um, yeah, whatever it is, uh, whatever off the field situations are going on i think teams really just try to control what they can control so i want to ask you about utah but the the way that utah won was so weird tanner you know struggling uh, being down 21 to 7 in the first half and then coming out and just rattling off 28 consecutive points on four consecutive drives getting touchdowns and having it uh, so change what happens i guess what happens in a locker room or what happens when a team when you just turn it around mid-game like that yeah, to me, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg question. Uh, this is something I talked about with Utah, was not having swag, not playing with the normal energy and confidence that they normally play with. And you know, the chicken or the egg part is, when do you get the swag and the confidence and the energy? Do you, do you get it after you start scoring and start showing success? Or do you, get, do you show the swag and the energy and the, and the confidence and that, and then that leads to scores? Um, I think in this case came after the energy the confidence the swag it started coming after the scores because once once you get one that gets you a little bit more pumped up then you get another and now, now all of a sudden you're starting to feel really confident starting to feel really good and then it just compounds and it just it just builds and builds and builds and it built up all the way to a Britton Covey personal foul uh, <laughs> penalty so that's that's how that's how good you know they're feeling when Britton comes you know rips off his helmet and starts flexing on people 
that's how you that's how you know they're feeling really confident, really good. Um, I lo- love love his energy, love what Britain just means to that team. Um, but he's kind of an embodiment of the the confidence that they were lacking and the confidence that they they're now feeling. I think they've been missing it, um, but I think it's starting to slowly come back. I think you look at last week's win against USC. That definitely builds their confidence, definitely changes their mindset and their attitude. And then they showed it again this past week. You know, like you said, rattling off four touchdowns in a row. That a lot of that just comes from confidence and getting in a rhythm, knowing what you're doing, believing in your system. Now you feel good. You know what you got to go out and do. And it's, things are starting to click, and the confidence is there. And when when a team starts to get confident, starts to have that energy and that swag back, that's when they're more dangerous. So you're seeing it now with the Utes, and I think they're shaping up to have a pretty good uh, back half of the season. Can you believe that Britton Covey has another year of eligibility left? I cannot believe that. It, <laughs> it blows my mind. I mean, it's just this COVID year is really throwing me off how everyone's still staying behind. Um, that is it's absolutely crazy to me to think about Britain coming back for another year. It, I mean, he and I, we first met in 2015. I had just gotten home from my mission. He had just graduated high school. And now here we are in 2021, and he's still going. And could be going another year. It's pretty hard to believe. The I hope, ageless wonder, I guess. I hope he does it because I'm with you. He's fun to watch, and he's got a ton of energy. And and you know, if how old's Britain? Probably 25, 24, maybe. You know, it could be weird being in the old guy in a locker room, but he he makes jokes about it. And he's funny, and Coach Wood made yeah. that uh, that Rogaine joke after the game, and he yeah. takes it in stride. I mean, he's just. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. He's not only fun to watch, but he's funny, and he's obviously a really good teammate. Yes, exactly. He's a great teammate. Everyone loves him. I mean, hard not to love a guy like that. Uh, and, and if I'm in issues, why not? I mean, you only get to play college football once. Uh, enjoy it. Take advantage of it while you can. And his teammates love him. His coaches love him. Um, definitely a guy that you want to have in your locker room, for sure. BYU missed out on that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, man, 2015, and he was he had – just gotten done winning a state title. What was the deal with with Britain not going to BYU? That was a that was a Bronco thing, not recruiting him, right? Yes, yes. From what I know, as far as uh, as far as I know, it was a recruiting thing. That coach Robert and I and Bronco didn't recruit him. Um, you know, I know he was an undersized athlete at Tinfu, and, and obviously was very talented in high school and winning state championships. But for whatever reason, they just didn't foresee him fitting in their system. Um, I know at that time, Guy Holiday was the receivers coach. Um, and he and I, I think we're just looking for maybe bigger, taller receivers. And you have to think that they, at that time, BYU had Mitch Matthews, Nick Kurtz, Taryn Houck, Moroni Laluputitao, who were all 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and above. And, and, yeah, so for whatever reason, they just didn't foresee him fitting in their system. But one man's trash is another man's treasure, and Utah immediately put him into their system, and he just gave both their offense and their special teams a huge boost. And he's been really, you know, a, a, a trademark of BYU's not on, uh, sorry, of Utah's not only their, um, their, their play on the field, but their identity and their, the way they you – know, their fight, their, their attitude, their – Never, never say die type of mindset. I think Britain embodies that and is a, a huge asset to their team and one that I think really could have benefited BYU. One right from their backyard that they let get away. That I think he could have been 
a huge piece in their offense. In BYU's defense, I believe Utah, uh, Coach Witt got a little reassurance from his brother that Britton was going to be a guy, you know. That, I think that probably helped Utah take the gamble a little bit. That uh, Kerry, I believe, was the is Coach Witt's brother who was the head coach at Timview at the time. So get a little inside track, that probably helped. Yeah, definitely. Yep. I think there's definitely some family dynamics there that played into it as well yep. with Britton's family having some um, connections, you know, both at BYU and Utah for better or worse. and kind of played into how it all shaped up. Yep, Tanner, you are the best. Thank you, sir, for uh, jumping on with us and enjoy this uh, week coming up with college football. Should be a fun one. Yep. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, buddy. Take care. You too. That's our friend Tanner Mangum, former BYU quarterback, coming on as he does each and every Monday. And Tanner is always great. Big thanks to him for uh, for jumping on with us. Tanner thinks Jaron's the guy, should be the guy going forward. Obviously, uh, Tanner has a ton of respect for Baylor Romney as a quarterback, but uh, – thinks uh, that Jaron uh, played a good game against Baylor, which I uh, would agree with him there. Interesting thoughts right there on, on Britton Covey and BYU missing out on that. That is an interesting story where, you know, Coach and I and uh, Coach Holiday had uh, Britton right there in the backyard, decided that they wanted to go a different direction. I'm sure. I mean, Britton, here's the thing with this job, Lloyd. You know this. You, you, you stand next to enough athletes and you go, my goodness, you are a giant how do, how do they make humans this big? Uh, and then you stand next to Britain, and, and Britain is a small human that, uh, by first judgment, should not be able to uh, really be a dynamic football player at the Division One level. Lo and behold, don't judge a book by its cover. You stand next to him and you think, oh, wow, he's, he's Utah's stud uh, punt returner and receiver, huh? Okay. But he's very good. He was very good against Arizona State, and he totally is the the energy within that team, and he is hilarious and has another year of eligibility, which is just crazy. All right, we'll let you hear from Coach Kyle Whittingham coming up next, his uh, weekly press conference. Don't forget uh, Frank Dolce on the show at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Stay tuned. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. This is DJ and PK. Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Jazz had a great season last year, and it sucked the way it ended for jazz fans, obviously. But they were still a great team. On paper, I think they're better. Fair or foul? I agree with that. I do feel like on paper, they've addressed a lot of the issues that really hurt them in that Clippers series. Theoretically, the jazz are a lot deeper. They're a little more matchup proof. I think if we're saying, what's the ideal version of this team? They're probably missing another lengthy wing capable of defending bending and switching and hitting some threes, but those guys don't grow on trees. They should be good. They should be improved. They should be capable of winning or at least competing for a championship this year. So I'm really interested to see how it goes. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's a big show. Jake Scott, 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Let's keep the uh, football train rolling. We heard from Coach Satake in the 3 o'clock hour. Let's hear from Coach Witt. His uh, media availability today is weekly press conference on Mondays. Don't forget, we've got Frank Dolce at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Now it's sports report at 4.50, but here is Coach Kyle Whittingham. 
Okay. I thought our team played uh, very well Saturday night overall. Uh, obviously much better in the second half than the first, but uh, you judge the game in its entirety. You don't judge it in segments. And so overall we played a, a good football game against a really good opponent. Um, a lot of positives in that game. Uh, particularly in the second half, as I mentioned, offense came out. We had four possessions in the second half and four long touchdown drives, uh, 60 plus, 70 plus yard drives, no short fields. It was the offense did a great job of uh, moving the football in the second half. Defense pitched a shutout in the second half, and uh, that was uh, the end result. Because of that, was a, a win, which puts us in good shape. Still a lot of football left. Obviously, uh, what are we a third of the way through? Uh, conference play and so we've got uh, a lot of uh, challenges starting this week Oregon State good football team really good football team running the heck out of the football uh, leading the Pac-12 by a considerable margin running the football uh, two good backs that uh, are very productive <clears throat> starts with our offensive line their offensive line is playing exceptional football and uh, that's uh, you know something that we've got to try to uh, take care of this week is, is slow them down a little bit in the run game. Quarterbacks playing well. Um, they're leading the conference in scoring as well as rushing, like I mentioned, as well as third down conversions, which when you run the football that well, you, it lends itself to a lot of third and shorts, which uh, they're taking advantage of. So big challenge. It's on the road. A tough place to play up there in uh, Corvallis. But uh, we'll uh, hopefully have a good week of practice and be ready to go. So questions? Huh. Well, like I say, you judge the game in its entirety. You don't judge it in segments. And so when you judge it in its entirety, we played pretty good defense, held them under 400 yards, well below what they were averaging, uh, below what they were scoring. Uh, and so I think we are playing good defense overall. Just happens, so happens to be that we're playing a little better in the second half than the first right now. But, but uh, we're not really concerned about that. We're just concerned with the, the final product and the and the final result. And so, yeah, it would be great to play great defense every single snap of the game. But things ebb and flow during the course of a game. And uh, and same with our offense. You know, we and this year for whatever reason we've proven to be a, a pretty good second half team. I mean, our fourth quarter scoring differential is is really good. It's like seventy something to. 20 or, or thereabouts and so we seem to be a little stronger in the second half this year each year is a little bit different but that's been our mo uh, don't have a great answer for you other than our guys do a, a really good job our players of hanging in there and overcoming adversity and handling adversity and and uh, that's been the the storyline this year what, what kind of schematic changes play into that i mean <clears throat> obviously you make adjustments right the yeah, halftime adjustments are big and, and play into that. And I think our, uh, is a credit to our assistant coaches and the coordinators to come in at halftime and, and uh, make those adjustments. Now, you got to make them all throughout the game. It's not just halftime because if you wait till halftime, it's too late a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the times. And so, uh, but uh, just coming, down, coming in from, from the first half, sitting down together, talk about what's happening, what we want to change, and what we want to tweak going forward. And uh, again, our Coaches have done a really good job of, of setting up uh, our players to be successful in the second half. Hi, we had some fun, uh, you know, with the Covey penalty and the flexing, but he, he generally doesn't show that level of 
emotion during a game. What did you think of that and just the emotion that he showed? There? I loved it. You know, you didn't love the penalty, but I loved the juice and the emotion and the passion. And uh, we were making plays all over the place in that second half. Uh, we had so many guys make big plays. Cam Rising played exceptional in the second half, as we talked about in the post-game press conference. But, but I, I'm not condoning penalties. But I'm, I'm, I love enthusiasm and guys that are really excited to play and have a, have a passion for what they're doing. Following up on that, obviously winning cures a lot, but it seems like this team is having a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, what? Where, where is this coming from? I mean, in the post-game videos, you're jumping around with them. Like, where, where is this kind of coming around together? Well, uh, every team has its own personality and its own chemistry, I guess you could say. And this team uh, is really fun to be around. There's a lot of great leaders, and uh, the leadership has been outstanding from, from, from the uh, onset. But uh, the personality of this team is just more... I don't want to say jovial, but uh, they're having a lot of fun this year. And these guys, we got a lot of guys that love football, and it shows. And that's what you want. You, know, you want guys that love football, and, and uh, that's uh, what has been exuded during the course of the season. When you were when you were in the locker room with the guys, you know, celebrating all that, did you expect them to pick you up? No, no, that's that doesn't happen often. But uh, that was. Uh, it was just in the moment. You know, you're in the moment. You're, you're so excited for them, and they played so well in that second half. And you know, it didn't look good at halftime, 21-7 against a top-20 team. And we hadn't, uh, other than the first drive on offense, we hadn't got a lot go well, on the first and the last drive, but, uh, where we turned it over at the end, which was a negative. But but we did move the ball well. But in between, there was not much going on. And then uh, to see the uh, production and the explosiveness in the second half was really uh, exciting. Coach, Mika didn't register a sack, but he was uh, creating a lot of pressure mm -hmm. uh, throughout the game. How valuable is that to have an edge rusher like that? Very valuable, and you, you can't have too many of those guys. You know, the most valuable commodities for a defensive uh, coordinator are edge rushers and shut down corners. And uh, he's a he's a premier edge rusher. And even though we didn't come up with the sack, I think we had five sacks. Actually, the stats were wrong. I think they, we got credited now for five. But uh, Mika is responsible for knocking the guy off his spot and flushing him around and and letting other guys clean up and get the sack. But but uh, right now Mika is leading the Pac-12 in sacks, so he's doing a good job. But uh, even an even better job than what is showing up statistically. You know, you know, at the beginning of the season, you talked about, you predicted that Devin Lloyd would probably be the highest drafted linebacker from your program. Obviously, he's had a really good season this year. What, what is it about him that, that, that works? Is he, does, do you allow him to just kind of do what he needs to, or what, what, what goes on there? No, he plays within the structure and the framework of the defense, but we utilize him in a lot of different ways. You saw us bring him off the edge uh, quite a bit so far this season. Uh, what makes him a good football player is just uh, a myriad of things. He's, he's got great size. You know, he's nearly 6'3", uh, 200, just pushing 240 pounds. He runs like a deer. He's, he's instinctive. He's got long wingspan. You know, you see him tip balls quite often, particularly on the pass rush. He's got his hands on two or three balls this year. Um, he's, uh, he's a playmaker. He's, he's a guy that uh, when there's a play there to be made, he almost always makes it. And uh, he is an absolute football junkie and student of the game. He watches as much film during the course of a week as anybody we've ever had here. Kyle, what makes Corvallis and Reeser Stadium such a tough place to play? Don't know. It's, uh, you know, they've, you typically got a, a pretty uh, boisterous crowd. Um, it's just an environment that uh, is uh, one of the tougher places to play in the Pac-12. And I, I just, other than the 
the uh, you know the fans and the and the overall environment. I don't have a great answer for you, but but it has proven to be a, a tough place. Although last time we were there, we we started out incredible in the first half. I think it was 35 nothing in mid second quarter. So that game was not uh, typical of a game that that you have in Corvallis, and we're expecting uh, a hard fought battle. Now that we're at the halfway point of the season overall, can you assess the offense, defense? Okay. Uh, offensively, I, st I think we're just starting to hit our stride. Uh, we sputtered in the first few games, first three or four games, but the last uh, two or three, we've we've started to uh, one, well, for sure, the last two started to figure out who we are, who we got to get the ball to, and how we got to get them get the, get them the ball. Tavion Thomas is starting to emerge uh, as more of a run threat, which gives us more in the run game. Um, defensively. I think that uh, we've been fairly consistent throughout the course of the season. Uh, certainly had some problems in the uh, run defense early on. We seem to have shored that up. Uh, so I just think that uh, you know overall we're, we're doing a uh, we're, we're trending in the right direction. I think as a football team, special teams wise, hasn't been a lot of. Uh, huge impact plays on special teams. We did have the big punt return, and of course we've given up some things in the kickoff return game, so it's been a little bit of give and take in the special teams, but but uh, I think we're holding our own. It's probably a good way to say it in the special teams. Going over the last three three games of how you guys have played, is this the Utah football team that you thought you, you guys were Yes, to? yes it is. This is this is what uh, we had in mind and what we had envisioned, and it uh, just took us a little bit to get there. You know, a few few more games than we'd like to get there. When did Monte do himself that he's uh, yeah, he's got an injury, hand injury. That so, happened at USC? Uh, yeah, yeah. Is there any season-ending injuries? I know you had a couple. Yeah, we have our long snapper. We lost Keegan Margraff, which is a it's a big blow. Although JT uh, Greep, the, the guy that backed him up, came in and did a great job, and we expect him to continue to do that. Uh, very talented young snapper. He's just a freshman. But uh, Keegan will be, uh, unfortunately, he's a captain. You know, He's one of our leaders. And that says something when a special teams guy gets voted captain, uh, because that's uh, that's not real common. But uh, he's unfortunately done for the year. We'll miss him, and uh, he was, uh, you know, a big part of our special teams for the last several years. We don't talk a ton about the long snapper, but just in general, how, how critical is it to have a long <laughs> Absolutely critical, and, and as soon as you notice them, that's a bad thing. Right. You know, as long as you're not noticing the snappers, that means that everything's going as it should, and, and uh, we haven't noticed Keegan Harley at all because he's been so consistent. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a big factor, but like I said, we have all the confidence in the world in JT and expect that he'll uh, get the job done. On offense, you've had a pretty diverse group. You don't necessarily have that one guy that you can focus on. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of the way that you hope to maintain it, in, in a way that allows opponents to not really be an only guy? Or how yeah, you to exactly. We've got five, six, seven weapons that uh, we've utilized, and and that are getting the majority of the touches. Uh, the, the emergence of Devon Vale has been a big positive for us. We knew the tight ends going into the season was gonna, were going to be a, a group that was going to be tough to defend, but but with Devon uh, doing what he's doing, Covey is Covey. You know, there's no surprise there. He's uh, in fact we we'll probably need to do a little better job of getting him a few more touches. Uh, Theo Howard's added some timely catches. Uh, like I said, the tight ends have been productive from day one. And uh, Tavion, as I mentioned, has really bolstered the running. It's kind of got to the point now where Tavion and TJ are getting the, the vast majority of the reps at uh, running back. Following up on that, you talked about the tight ends. What does a, having a group like you have with Brant, Dalton, Cole, Thomas, and, and, and Alidi, 
does that allow you to do on yeah, it allows you to do a lot of stuff. And as a former defensive coordinator, that's the toughest groups to defend is the multiple tight end groups, 12 and 13 personnel, whether you have two or three out there. And uh, there's just so many different ways you can utilize them, and particularly when they have the receiving skills that our guys do where you can split them out. You know, we put Brandt out at wide receiver a good proportion of the time, and, and Dalton is such a, a tremendous receiver. Cole, uh, not as elusive as the other two, but he runs great routes and gets open. And so when you got tight ends that can block and catch, that's a, that's a great combination and a great uh, matchup problem for defenses. And it, it is, as a, like I said, as a former coordinator, that's the one, and that's the groups, 12 and 13, that make it the most difficult for you to defend and make sure you're, you're not outflanked or outleveraged in the run game and you get good matchups when, you know, when they're split out and in the pass game. There you go. That's Coach Kyle Whittingham, his weekly press conference earlier today. We've got Frank Dolce, of course, who will talk some Utes with us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Not Sports Report is next. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Jazz had a great season last year, and it sucked the way it ended for jazz fans, obviously. But they were still a great team. On paper, I think they're better. Fair or foul? I agree with that. I do feel like on paper, they've addressed a lot of the issues that really hurt them in that Clippers series. Theoretically, the jazz are a lot deeper. They're a little more matchup proof. I think if we're saying, what's the ideal version of this team, they're probably missing another lengthy wing capable of defending and switching and hitting some threes, but those guys don't grow on trees. They should be good. They should be improved. They should be capable of winning or at least competing for a championship this year. So I'm really interested to see how it goes. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Check this out. And now your not sports report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. It's time for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Be color 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. Correctly identify the Chevy Strong Play of the Game announced by DJ and PK this morning at 850, and you'll win a Zone prize pack. It's the Chevy Strong Play of the Game brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers only here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. So color 12 right now. It is the big show. Jake Scott with you. It's time for the Not Sports Report brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online lhmusedcars.com. All right. Uh, we'll do this quick because we've got Frank Dolce coming up next. Uh, but uh, we're going to Atlanta today. And a man, a customer named Candy Franklin went down to the Waffle House in downtown Atlanta. Lloyd, he then, uh, this guy ordered uh, candy, ordered some cheese eggs, some uh, cheese, some eggs covered in cheese, and uh, hung, hung out, sat there waiting and waiting and waiting. He then uh, asked the uh, server, a gal to uh, said, "Hey, I've, I've ordered some cheese eggs. Looking, looking for some eggs. Uh, any update?" She goes, "Okay." And she goes back. She comes back out with just regular eggs. And so he called the waitress over again, and he's examining his uh, meal. And when he looked up, the server was uh, was uh, pointing a gun right at him over the cheese eggs. Uh, here's the quote. 
He said, quote, I was looking down at my food, making sure it was right. And that's when I just saw people running. I look up and she had the gun at me. I didn't think she would shoot. Then she cocked it back. So I was like, maybe she is about to do something. Now it's time for me to turn into Rambo and get out of there. Franklin said, uh, she was like, she'll blow, she'll blow my brains out. He said, adding, they must've had some good eggs and cheese in there. It never, it's never that serious. Uh, then uh, Frank Franklin just uh, went on to talk about how traumatized he was by the whole situation, as you could possibly uh, imagine. Um, but here's the part of the story, uh, Lloyd, that uh, I find uh, interesting. Well, this whole story, I guess, is interesting. But a uh, the a TV station contacted the Waffle House. A representative from Waffle House told the TV station they have received a customer complaint and have launched an investigation. What are you talking about? Well, of course you received a complaint. You've got a waitress pulling a gun on a customer over a wrong order. And then you're doing an investigation. How about you you identify the waitress and hold her accountable? This doesn't seem like, like that difficult. But yet another example, Lloyd, on why I never send back food. You just you just get Always what you get. Always a bad idea. You just get what you get and eat it. You know, like, yeah, I, I ordered cheese on my eggs, but you know what? I'm just going to eat this because I frankly don't want the waitress to pull a gun on me. Not good. So anyway, I'm glad this poor guy got out and nobody was, uh, nobody was hurt. I don't understand what the investigation is by the Waffle House. How about an investigation by the police? Or how about you just identify the woman who you, you uh, probably know who's working for you at the time, I'm guessing. What do you mean launching an investigation? And I love that. They, they, we've received a customer complaint. Oh, have you? Oh, you have. I would imagine that uh, you've received a customer complaint. All this guy wanted was some cheese on his eggs. Not good press for the Waffle House, I would say. All right, coming up next, uh, Frank Dolce is going to jump on the show, former Ute quarterback, longtime Ute analyst. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the red-hot Utah football team and the play of Cam Rising. That's coming up next on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone.